Hey everybody, this is Brandon Ellis with Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to. I'm your host. And with me today, she wasn't here last week or last time, it is Beth Elliott, our marketing coordinator. Hey Beth. Hey, how are you doing? Are you all rested and relaxed and well, hard? hard? I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I appreciate Matthew sitting in for me. He did an excellent job. He did he did a lot better than I did. Uh, I think last the last podcast missed two things, and that was you and not me. Please. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. That was a great, and he knows his stuff. He does. He does. And we've got somebody else here that knows his stuff, That's too. right. So let's get straight into that. What's the title for today? Today, we're going to talk about industrial automation. It doesn't have to be unsafe. And with us, we have a special guest, Dave Rice with Data Logic. Dave, do you want to tell the listeners a little about a little bit about yourself and what you do over there at Data Logic? Sure. I've been with well, first of all, I'm up here in Wisconsin, so I'm a ways away from you guys, but been with Data Logic for about three years after spending eight years at another company. And so I've done sales of, of safety products for I don't know, a total of ten or eleven years now. So just mainly in a field sales role, but also in some consultative roles as well. So yeah, that's that's where I am, where I come from, and uh, uh, look forward to discussing with you guys. Perfect. Sounds great. Yeah. yeah. So let me let me we got Dave Rice, Data Logic. <laughs> okay, so Dave, I appreciate the introduction. So we're talking about safety systems today, and and I don't know if if. Uh, he got the point across, but Dave is excellent when it comes to safety. Um, and with that logic, that's one of the product groups that he's responsible for. So, uh, and he came from another company. We'll just leave it at that, that he did a lot of safety type systems in that as well. So, uh, Dave, I really appreciate you being with us today. So let's jump straight into it. Industrial safety. What does it mean? What's your definition? If you had to give me a, a one liner on what industrial safety is. Well, I hear it all the time from my customers, and I would probably say how to make something foolproof or what they would say idiot-proof. Okay. Um, that would probably be my, my layman's terms uh, definition of it. Sure. So we're talking about equipment. We're talking usually talking about equipment uh, or processes, things of that nature, Beth, where if, if it's not done correctly, a person uh, can, a human being, uh, we're not really trying to protect product. We're trying to protect people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the person, a person could potentially be harmed in some way. And so as we talk about that, uh, there are different types of safety systems. Now, Data Logic specifically does what we call light-based guarding. But there is also a whole world of what we call hard guarding. I think we can. I can picture a hard guarding better, uh, more than a light guarding. <laughs> okay, that, that's what you see around. You know, <laughs> that, yeah, that, <laughs> the it, barriers. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, if you see walls or, or expanded metal, or well, if you see bars, if you see you know steel bars, you may be in a place you don't need to be. <laughs> or cages. You yeah. Mean, you know, yeah. robot cages or something yeah, like yeah. that. That's pretty common for hard guarding. Too. That's right. So any kind of a barrier, so you hit the nail on the head there, is a hard guard, but also how, and so they, if they're bolted, like a barrier would be bolted, mm-hmm. but now you still need to have access. Yeah. So maintenance needs to have access. Uh, engineering may need to have access. Uh, even sometimes the associate may have to have access if there's a, 
a condition where they need to go in and, and, and clear out a, a product or something along those lines. And it needs to be in a known safe way of doing that. And so hard guards have to be penetrable. Light guards uh, are guarding an area that, how would you say it, Dave, always uh, may, may need to be constantly as part of the process, you know, broken or, or moved yeah, through. Yeah, that's basically, you know, how much time is going to be sent, spent inside the machine as part of a regular routine of either the machine cycle or maintenance or something like that kind of helps dictate, you know, how much hard guarding needs to be involved. And and then hard guarding, uh, there there are devices such as what we call interlocks, usually for doors uh, or access doors, things of that nature. So uh, those interlocks can be monitored. There are sensor-based monitors. There are uh, physical uh, latch assemblies and, and, and locking assemblies. And things yep, magnetic nature. switches. Yep. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. So uh, those things are all specific to the hard guard type of guarding. Uh, so if there is a door that needs to be sometimes accessed and that door needs to be accessed only at certain times by certain people, uh, a magnetic switch can monitor that door. And if it opens when it shouldn't, the Uh-oh. machine will shut down to okay. a safe, go enter and should enter, should enter into a safe state. Right. Am I, am I, am I laying it yes. down correctly? Dave? Yep. Yep. And then if it's something that should not be, access like a door that we don't want anybody to access unless the machine is in a very specific safe state already then that's where your interlocks come into play not just a magnetic switch or magnetic uh, sensor okay but in this case it's actually like a latch or a lock on a door so it's physically locked and then when we yep. say it's safe it unlocks I got you. Or, you know, a key or something like that. You often hear like lock out, tag out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's usually something where somebody might even have to bring a key inside the inside the cell and the cell can't be operated without that key. So, oh, okay. So um, if somebody were in there, it couldn't tur- turn on while they're in there? Correct. Right. Okay. Yep. okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you're inside working on the robot... Mm-hmm. And we've talked about robot cells. Yes. Remember you asked me for the definition of robot cells and things of the nature. So that's the area where the robot operates. The and work so envelope. The work envelope. That's right. Well, outside of the work envelope, it's it's anywhere that the, the robot could go. Okay. Because sometimes robots are working in a defined work area, but they are capable of going outside of that area if something goes wrong. And so in that whatever situation, if you're in harm's way, close enough to the to the robot or the process where I'm using a robot as an example but any of process that that is unsafe if you're close enough to it or can get close enough to it uh, in, it's usually a large area like walking inside of a room okay uh, and someone outside of the room has access to the start button oh that's not good <laughs> that's what he's talking about is oh, these little keys yeah. that you can you, you would have to remove it to even, a lot of times, to even get the door Put to Put it around latch. your wrist, walk into the cell. Yeah, you've got the key with you inside. And then as far as lotto, which is lockout, tagout, that means you've actually turned power off or turned something into a position, put a lock on it with a key, and you have the key in your hand as well. So there's various types of safety keys and then just regular uh, lockout keys and things of that nature that says, uh, this thing cannot be started until I say 
you know, I'm clear. At least I'm taking my lock off or putting my key back in. If there's more than one yep. key, then there's other people that have to put their keys in. So it's yep. kind of like the movies when the, you know, the VP and the, the president have the launch codes and they both have to put their keys <laughs> in the two different things yep. across the room and all this kind of stuff. I mean, uh, it's, it's meant to make sure, doggone sure, that this system cannot do anything that could cause harm until everybody that is involved checks off and says, okay. And so that's where hard guards come into play. So it's a little different with light guarding. Take us there, Dave. Yeah. Yeah, So light guarding, we'd probably think of in applications that are, you know, there, there is regular access that is needed to the machine, either that or the severity of the machine, or it may be a little bit less severe um, or dangerous of a machine, but kind of a, a trade-off between those two as to how much access we, we need to have to the machine and, you know, how dangerous said machine is, would, which would, you know, potentially necess- necessitate more using light guarding, like, you know, safety area scanners or light-based systems like light curtains um, or safety photo eyes or something like that. So it's subjective? Safety sensors. Subjective. Uh, hang on a second. Subjective. It's absolutely subjective. Uh, so light guarding, though, the way that it works, he mentioned two things there. Uh, he mentioned um, safety scanners, uh-huh. and then he mentioned light curtains, or uh, uh, what do you call it, a safety photo eye. What's yeah. the difference between those, Dave? Safety light curtain, think of, you know, an actual, like a, a stick with multiple uh, sensors inside of it that's going to guard a you know a three four five six foot tall area whereas safety photo eyes are more of um thought of in much tighter applications where all you were looking for is to guard like a two inch or three inch tall space but are also safe have the same safety rating and you know protect the machine the same way just guarding a much smaller envelope okay so if you think about um i don't know oceans 11 or something like that when they turn on the grid and it's all kinds of laser beams and they have to make sure they don't break. And there's a whole, what we call an array of beams. Yep. That's a light curtain. Okay. The, yes. The safety photo would be one beam. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. And so uh, the, the best uh, example of that is on your garage door. If you have a, uh, any kind of a newer type garage door, it should have a sensor on the bottom. If it's an automatic garage door, it should have a sensor in the bottom that's just one's a transmitter. It shines the light. The other side's the receiver that receives the light. And if yep. the light gets blocked for any reason, then the receiver says something's oh. in the way and it won't let the garage door close. Those are a lot newer than what I have. <laughs> you have an old garage door. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to work on that. I'm going to I'm gonna call OSHA on you. Yeah. Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah. You are unsafe, Beth. Um, so th- those would be, uh, I mean, real-world examples of, of, of the difference, a photo being a single beam, a light curtain being multiple beam, but you have transmitter, and receiver so he called it sensor or receiver so one is producing a light the light shining the flashlight if you will the other one is looking for the light and if it doesn't see the beam then it knows something's in the way and that is what kicks off the safe the safety action gotcha so shutting down a machine or something like that but an example on those is if you're doing a process where uh, just as an example, the operator needs to reach inside, reach through the, the light curtain area to place a part in, into a, a part fixture or nest or something like that. And then they come out of it 
uh-huh. to take their arm out. Now, now there's no beams broken, and when they hit the start button, it can go ahead and run. Then there's that. That's safety in terms of not starting a process until it's in a safe state. And then there's also the safety of of having to stop a process that's already underway if someone breaks the 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 beams in in the light curtain scenario. Okay. And so there are things that have to be figured in that as far as distances. And there's uh, he mentioned OSHA, uh, occupational. Safety and Hazards Association. Is that right, Dave? I think it's health. Health. That's it. Health. Yeah. 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 I got it close. So OSHA regulates that from a federal level. And TOSHA. TOSHA in Tennessee. Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have WOSHA in Wisconsin? (laughs) (laughs) We probably do, but I just haven't had it called that way. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. WOSHA. Yeah. Yeah, we could have some fun with that, but let's keep moving. So, so, the, so OSHA uh, sets those standards and decides what you know. They ultimately they're going to do the investigation if someone gets hurt. So, they they come into play. But that said, there are OSHA equations or guidelines that uh, a safety coordinator would utilize, and the safety coordinator uh, is really the responsibility of the organization themselves. And so now we're getting into whose responsibility it is for safety. Now, I'm kind of getting ready to go down one trail, but I need to come back to the safety scanners. I haven't forgotten about the safety scanners because they're different than the light curtains. But with a light curtain, and this is going to end in a question to you, Dave, so be ready. With the light curtain, I know that there are equations that we have to decide distance and then also with whatever the operation is, if the operation is moving, you know, uh, uh, maybe it's a press that's only moving, you know, cycling maybe one inch on down to press apart and come back open. Oh, okay. Uh, or a big old saw blade that's sawing lumber. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's an exposed blade. Well, uh, based upon the the type of operation or process and how subjectively unsafe that's determined to be uh, also how fast can i arrest it you know mm-hmm. stop it yep. make it safe all those come into play as to how far away the beam distance remember we're talking about breaking the beam uh-huh. how far away that beam needs to be from that point of of contact that you're wanting to avoid Correct. So yep. if it's a saw blade and i it's going to take you know three seconds to to stop the blade this uh-huh. big blade that those beams are going to be pretty far back. Yeah. Uh, if you're using a light curtain. To or account you, for it. Or you're going to use a hard guard, which means, and, and it all comes down to this, if someone's coming that direction and they trip over something and begin to fall, then it uh, a falling, tripping action is close to, I don't want to say a sprint, but it's closer to a run than a walk. And so that's the reason they come up with all that. Am I saying that right, Dave? Yeah. Yeah, certainly. So, yeah, those, those safety distances... Um, and safety scanners do have them too. It's just not the same qu- equation. Okay. Um, but that was yeah, my question. It, What's the difference yes. in the safety equations, roughly, just generally? Uh, are there differences when it comes to the safety scanners versus light curtains? Yes, there are differences, but they both factor in basically the, the, the response time of the system overall. So from the time that you break the light curtain to the time the machine stops, which has to factor in, you know, the stop time of the machine, the stop time of the relay, the, the response time of the light curtain, all that comes into play with the overall response time of that shutting down action. 
And it's a, a trade-off between that, the resolution of the curtain. So how tight is the are mm-hmm. the beams between how close uh, the light together. curtain? Yeah. Right. Yep. So the wider the beam spacing, technically the the further away the light curtain has to be from the hazard. And then the other uh, constant is the the which OSHA said. I think it's either OSHA or ANSI says that the approach speed for somebody you know coming into that light curtain is th- sixty three inches per second. Oh, is that so? Okay. It's very exact. Yeah. Yes. That's <laughs> I guess very, it has to be. So, huh? <laughs> yeah. So sixty three inches a second is the the standard for when somebody is approaching the light curtain, that's the speed to assume that they're approaching that light curtain. And then, you know, what is the resolution between the beams and then the response time of the, uh, of the overall system will dictate how far that device should be from the individual hazard or the pinch point. And so that comes into play with both safety scanners and light curtains. So, uh, uh was yeah, the thing? only other thing, uh, safety scanners are a little bit, more um the the equation is a little bit more difficult um because usually you're scanning parallel to the hazard rather than perpendicular to it whereas a light curtain is mounted usually vertically and the hazard is you know beyond that vertical uh, screen let's say whereas a safety scanner most often is mounted on the floor and scanning a given area almost like a mat a virtual mat along the floor so it's kind of a, a different way to think about the same process, but the height of the safety scanner also comes into play um, in terms of its equation. But it's using the same variables; it's just a different way to calculate it. Right, and so safety scanners work a little differently than light because a safety scanner uh, looks like a, a Mister Coffee coffee machine. <laughs> That's what I think of. <laughs> it um, does. Yep. Uh, where, you know, so what it's doing is it's actually taking a single laser and that laser is coming down on a mirror that's spinning. Oh. And so it's scanning really fast. Okay. And so even though it's one laser beam, it's moving, uh, it's not 360 degrees, but what, with that logic, what's your all's maximum? 270 or? 275. 275. So 200, almost, I mean, close. Uh, so it's looking out from the Mr. Coffee Maker. Okay. Uh, and and this this laser beam is going is shooting out. And think of sonar like with the, you know, sonar works. You send a, a sound out, and mm-hmm. then you're looking for the the echo response. Well, we call that time of flight. And so that that light sensor that's picking up the reflection of the laser is we we know when it went out, and we know how long it took to come back, so we can tell if something's. With, you know how close something is okay within yep. within the distance range and so you can do some really cool tricks with that in that uh, a light curtain is pretty much a light curtain now there's things you can do with light curtains you can do blanking uh, where you basically say there here's an area so many beams that we are going to ignore oh. all the time uh, you can do muting where you say we're only going to ignore them at certain times during certain operations mm-hmm. yep. uh, and that's that's really it, right? With the light curtain, those are the primary things, that, tricks that we can do with the light curtain. I read. A yeah, I would say that's pretty fair. Yep. What were you gonna say? There's. I read about a couple other things when I was working on the data logic page, but uh, I can't remember what they were. <laughs> All <laughs> <My> right. Bad. <laughs> so I thought it was uh, like when you're doing the grids. The, oh, okay. Okay. Is that what you're talking the, about? The what? The cascading. <laughs> Or cascading is- yep so you could attach multiple light curtains together to make like an l or something like that which you'd usually see in like a weld cell 
where, you know, you have a rotating table or something like that, that operators are, or a robot is putting parts on, but there's a, you know, a horizontal element to the area that you're trying to guard in addition to a vertical element. So you can cascade light curtains to make like an L shape. So you have more than just a single plane. Right. Um, and that's what, what they call cascading. And so most brands. So that's cool. That's a, that's great. So that, uh, that's another cool trick you can do with light curtains, because if you are doing the, the blight, the blanking that I was talking about, if it's just, if it's just one, uh, light curtain pair, then you're, you're blanking as far left or right. If they're, if they're in the vertical orientation, as far yep. left and right as, as that many beams. But if right, you have right, the cascading, so. uh-huh. now you have beams coming vertically and horizontally. So you can say, I'm muting, uh, this many, uh, horizontal beams and this many vertical beams. And now you are muting a square or rectangle essentially, uh, in space. Muting so, or blanking? I'm sorry, uh, blanking. Okay. Did I blanking. say muting? Yep. Sorry. Yep. Um, so that, that means that if a lot of times with a robot or if what I've seen before is long metal, in this case, if a, me- a piece of long metal is coming through into a work cell, it's you, you can open like a six inch by six inch window and say anything passing through that six inch window is, a, is okay. We'll ignore it. But if anything breaks any beams outside of that six inch square in space, then it's a safety hazard. We'll, we'll shut the machine down. And so that's a trick that you can do with cascading. Okay. Yep. Light scanners, you can draw some crazy looking zones um, to say, uh, we're going to look way out over here on this side from, from, you know, 45 degrees out to 180 degrees. And then we're going to come way in and say, okay, you know, we, we don't really care much on this here. And then we're going to go back out real far. And so we can, it's just like putting tape on the floor and saying, if you step over this line, then the, machine then the machine's going to okay. shut down. And then yep. you can go outside of that and create warning zones. So you can say, if you come in, not, not beyond that line that you put on the floor, so to speak, but out another layer an outer layer and say, if you come in here, we're going to, we're going to flashlights or as you like to say, <laughs> shock them, shock them. <laughs> uh, we're, we're going to alert the person to say, you're getting close. And if you keep coming close, we'll shut you down. So these are things you can do with safety scanners that are really cool that you can't really, you can't really do that with a light curtain. Not easily. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. There are different kinds of applications I think of too. And the other way a light curtain is, or a, I'm sorry, a safety scanner is, is beneficial too, is when you start thinking about whether or not you need an automatic or manual reset to, you know, clear the light curtain or clear the safety scanner once it's become unblocked. With a safety scanner scanning, you know, parallel to the floor, if you have a safety scanner mounted inside of a robot cell, it can tell that somebody's entered the cell and has kept being inside the cell. Whereas with a light curtain, once you pass that light curtain, unless there's a horizontal element to it as well, if you just have a vertical light curtain and you walk past that light curtain, there's no way for the light curtain to know that you've gone past it. It doesn't differentiate it going through it one direction versus through it another direction. So the light curtain doesn't know that you're still inside the machine, whereas the safety scanner would. So a lot of times a safety scanner can negate the need for the uh, the auto or for the uh, manual reset because once you clear the safety scanner, 
it knows you're out of the machine rather than inside of it. That's a great point. That's a great point. So, so again, talking about a room. uh, So here in, in Elotex podcasting studio, uh, we have one door. Mm-hmm. You go in and go out that door. If I had a safety scanner, a light curtain there, I could tell when you broke it, but I couldn't tell if you walked through or not. Did you gotcha. just step into the doorway and or then out. step back out? Or did the you hallway, step out? Yeah. Uh, or did you go all the way through and inside the room? A safety scanner, what he's saying, would, would if it was mounted in such a way that it's scanning the entire floor, it would be able to unless you're levitating. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to be able to see your legs or something like that to know that there's something in this room. Uh, And and then I would paint, you know, when I I was talking about putting the line on the floor, I basically would would create it to say, I don't care once you're outside of the doorway. I'm going to ignore that. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you come inside the door, I can see that. So with the light curtain, what we have to do, and this is a great segue because it takes us into uh, the sediments of a safety category. Uh, but on the most basic safety category with light curtains, you have to have a means of resetting. So when you break the light curtain, which means that you've, you've broken one of the beams that are deemed to be, you know, we don't want these broken. Important. Yeah, they're important. <laughs> or, or the machine is in a state that says, I'm, I'm not muting, I'm, I'm, I'm watching the beams. So once you, once those beams are broken, um, in a, again, this is, Usually during a processing type safety move. Remember, I said there was not starting. You know the the safety that keeps the machine process from beginning. Yes. And then there's a safety process that the the process is underway. Okay. And we want to arrest the process to take it to a safe state. Those are kind of two different flavors. Usually, in the case where you have a process that's already underway, which means if you break the safety lock curtain, we need to arrest the process to make it safe. Mm-hmm. Um, once that takes place, then you have to, and, and now everybody's clear, it's time to restart the process before we, we can't just come out of the curtain and say, okay, it's not blocked anymore, start again. Oh, you That's can't? the automatic reset that he's talking about. Oh. Uh, you can't do do that. We used to do that a couple of decades ago all the time, but now we can't. Um, and that falls under the safety categories, which are put in, in, into um, place, I guess, by OSHA uh, in the United States. But um, uh, but that basically says that if, if, if you break it, when you come back out of it, you have to physically press a button at the very least and reset Everything. Oh, okay, gotcha. Unless you're talking like an in like an application, like an assembly machine, where you have a machine frame that's you know a small opening, and operators are loading parts in and out of a nest or a fixture. Obviously, then you know that you haven't gone past the light curtain because you're not going to you know you know no one is stepping into that fixture. I mean, you can't get past that. So somebody's arm would go in and out of it. So usually in like those assembly loading stations, um, usually those are applications for with light curtains that are uh, automatic reset because there's no way to get past the light curtain without the machine, without, you know, it's too small of an area basically. Um, whereas you have a robot cell and if you have a light curtain on the entry to the robot cell, sure, somebody could walk into the robot cell and you wouldn't necessarily know about it with a light curtain um, once they've, you know, gone past the light curtain, it would know that it broke, but it didn't know which way it was. The person was traveling. Oh, right. Okay. So he, I agree with hundred percent what he said, but 
uh, I know from experience, it really comes down to the subjective nature of safety. And that comes down to one thing. And this is the point I want to, I want us to segue into is who's responsible for deciding what is safe and what is not safe. Because we have some customers, our customers, LTEC customers that say that if the, um, light curtain is broken, mm-hmm. even if it's a small machine, it has to be part of a uh, multi-button reset. Oh. And we get in conversations all the time about, well, it, 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 if you do that every time, sometimes, again, if the machine, if the process is not running, they're having to load the parts. You don't want them to have to load the parts and then come out and do a multi-button reset and then hit cycle start every time. That'd be, uh, <laughs> It'd be time-consuming. <laughs> right, um, yep. So again, it comes down to subjective, the subjective nature. Uh, that is the responsibility of the organization. It's not OSHA's responsibility. OSHA sets guidelines. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly not TOSHA's responsibility. They also honor the guidelines and then maybe uh, add to them, uh, or WOSHA, if there is such a thing. Um, <laughs> uh, but it does fall down on the organization. And so when we were talking, Dave, you and I were talking uh, about the, this session before we hit record, you uh, taught me a new term. Do you remember that term? Onus. Onus. And I had not... That's a good one. We need a sound effect for it, that. Do you... <laughs> Onus. Onus. <laughs> it, it sounds like a very legal term, um, but... Uh, Probably because it is. Yeah. Is that what it is? Because it's not an acronym. I mean, it, it, the onus or the responsibility, yeah. I mean, however you want to call it, yep. We we do a lot with acronyms around here, but onus is not an acronym. I think it's a it's it's really a, derived from a legal term. Whose responsibility is it? And yep. And so uh, one of the things when you when you uh, and I were talking about that was you had mentioned that it's different. There's some differences between the U.S. and, and Europe. Yes. So I've worked for the company I work for now is Italian, so they're European, and then the company I used to work with was Japanese, and both of those companies. Um, you know, kind of taking it word of mouth sort of thing from my colleagues in overseas. But um, with both of those companies, they said the U.S. is a little bit different, that usually uh, in Europe and, and Japan, that there is a different sense of responsibility that falls on the machine builder providing the machine to make it safe through directives and whatnot. Whereas with the U.S., it's thought of to be on the end user to take the machine and make it safe. So, yeah, I mean, that's just, I mean, I haven't, you know, sold uh, safety systems into the uh, EU or Japan or anything like that. I'm just kind of taking it from what I've heard my colleagues say that that it is different um, in the U.S. versus the EU or Japan. Well, and of course, we we uh, are here in the United States, so that's that's interesting. I didn't realize. So in Europe, I can guess I can see that Europe and in, in, in Asia that it would everyone would think that the machine builder or the OEM or the manufacturer of the equipment. Um, and we have that here in the United States. I'm not, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that 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 it's not our responsibility to make sure our equipment is safe. But deciding the definitive decision of what's safe and what's not safe definitely in the U.S. falls the the onus falls upon the organization that is getting yep. the equipment. And so that was kind of new for me because I haven't sold a lot of. I haven't sold not directly. I don't think we've sold. We sell 
individual data products, but that doesn't really – we're not selling robots and things of that nature into the European market. Workstation. Market. Yeah, you're not selling workstations and – yeah, right. Yeah, so um, – that's a good point. So I appreciate I appreciated that when you told me that, and I appreciate you sharing that with us and, and everybody's listening as well. So that said, safety categories. Um, there are four of them, uh, and we were talking briefly about these. Uh, the categories kind of uh, are based upon the the chance of inflicting damage. I guess maybe is how I would say that. How how unsafe. Or no, not how unsafe, but how much damage can be caused. Yeah, risk level. So the severity of the injury that we we deem would would happen if somebody were to be unsafe, and then that, the likelihood that it is happening. Right, kind of a trade off. Yep. So so it might be extremely unsafe, but as Dave pointed out, if it's in a part of the machine that you physically, a human being physically, cannot fit into then the risk level is considered fairly low. Uh, but if it's the saw blade scenario mm-hmm. that, you know, you can't, you know, it's it's big, it's cutting, you know, huge logs or something like that, uh, and there's just saw blade teeth flying everywhere, uh, and, and it, it needs to be big because it's a large process, then now all of a sudden that would could could potentially require what we would call category safety category four, uh, which is a very high risk level and a good chance that that someone could get into the bad part of the machine. So four is right. the highest. Four, yes, correct. Four is the top, and so from a hard guarding standpoint, uh, the way I describe four is safety category four usually falls to what we talked about earlier with the the hard guards that are actually have actuators that lock them just like door locks uh, and also have the uh, lockout tagout requirements or the keys, the safety keys that Dave referred to those types of things where the machine has to be absolutely unable physically, electrically uh, unable to start. Okay. Yep. And light curtain, there are light curtains that, I mean, a, a lot of what we see in the U S this is one thing that's different too. I mean, I think we sell a lot more light curtains that are category four in the U S than in at least in Europe, because um, I know Data Logic as a whole makes a, a pretty good um, point about selling their Category Two light curtains, which they also have. But in the U.S., at least, we see more Category Four light curtains. So there are light curtains that are Category Four. The main difference between a Category Four light curtain and a Category Two light curtain is that a Category Four light curtain is completely self-checking it's safety outputs are turning on and off constantly and the internal workings of the light curtain are actually self-checking those safety outputs to make sure they're turning on and off at just an extremely fast rate just to make sure that they're changing states but it's too fast for the safety relay or the safety plc to pick up that's why it doesn't constantly turn on and off but internally with a light curtain it's checking that and it's checking that at a rate that's guaranteed to be faster than the response time of the unit a category 2 light curtain does the same thing but it checks those safety outputs at a much slower rate such that there could be a failure and the light curtain wouldn't catch itself within the guaranteed response time of the unit so it's doing the same thing just doing it slower so that's the main difference between a category two and a category four light curtain. So um, there certainly are category four light curtains, but there are also category two light curtains. And I would say we see more category four light curtains in the U.S. for really? whatever you, reason. Yep. 
Oh, okay. For what? I didn't know if maybe Europe had, they had to have hard guards for Category 4. Uh, no, it's not a spe- uh, specification that you have to have hard guarding for Category 4. Um, category 4, I mean, there, like I said, there are light curtains that are Category 4. And, you know, in the U.S., that's what we stock here in the U.S. is all Category 4 light curtains because that's what you see 95% of the time here in the U.S. But certainly in Europe, we stock more Category 2. Huh. Um, I guess which, in the United States, it's go big or go home. That's right. right? <laughs> there you go. America. Um, yeah, right. Exactly. Which, um, so yeah, I mean, that's just a, a, a difference between the two. But yeah, with the light curtains, it comes down to, you know, there's more of a structure to detect those faults that could occur with a Category 4 than a Category 2. That's good to know. I honestly I had forgotten about that. Um that there were that that it was possible to do a category safety category four rating on a light curtain. Uh and, and I'm sorry. You had told me that before and I forgot. So No, they, that's okay. Yeah. It's uh I mean it's like I said, it it's I think a little strange to the the our people in our headquarters in Italy, I think is usually surprised when we sell more category four than, than category two, but that's what we stock the most well, of. The that's US. what, that's what I would, that's what I would feel better uh, with. But uh, so there, so yeah. th- there we go. So we have the safety category, safety category four, as you pointed out, Beth is the highest. I mean, the, the most intense mm-hmm. safety category one is the lowest, which means that any chance of damage. So my scenario, I talked about the saw blade. Mm -hmm. Then I talked about a small little, you know, fixture press or something that wasn't really doing much. It's not moving very far. If, if the light curtains are broken or the safety device is broken, we can shut it down very quickly before anybody gets there. Uh, it's back into the machine as Dave pointed out. So it's not like you can walk in and you can get in there and stay in there with it. Um, so that would definitely fall under safety category one. Uh, and, and because it's negligible, well, I shouldn't say definitely, I would think that it would fall under that. Again, the onus is on the organization and they may, their safety coordinator may say, ah, uh-uh, that's a two or a three. You never know. But that's my definition of a negligible safety category. One is the chances of getting to the point or getting to the point won't really hurt you, but we want something there. Okay. And so that, that's safety category one and then two and three and uh, two and three are between those, of course. So. Yeah. And for, to reach category, I mean, this, for the sake of the, you know, light curtains, um, that we were talking about, if you wanted to put that in relation to a safety scanner, what is the highest safety category a safety scanner could achieve on a machine? It's actually category three. There is no category four, uh, or there is no safety scanner that could achieve category four safety. And that just has to do with the nature of the safety scanner being not a, uh, well, I shouldn't say this is definitive. This is what I've been told. It has to do with the safety scanner being a reflective device rather than a through beam style device. So there's two paths of travel that the light curtain has to, to take. And depending on the target that it hits off of, you know, being relatively subjective, it could scatter the light in, you know, a one in a million scenario or something like that. That's what I've been told is the difference between the light curtain and the safety scanner as to why a safety scanner cannot be category four. Well, that makes sense. Um, whether that's actually the case or not, I'm going with it. So <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I should look that up. I actually have, have never 
done the research on that and we're relying on word of mouth over you know 10 years at two different organizations that sell similar stuff so but I'll maybe look into that a little bit more after this. Well, the takeaways are it's subjective as to the category. It's subjective as to what is considered safe. But the onus, in the United States anyway, falls upon the organization that's getting the equipment. And then if it's safety category four, you better pay attention. Uh, yeah. So that said, let's let's keep rolling on. So this is a great conversation. Uh, what types of – we were talking about example applications – and what we may may use in terms of some applications, it just makes more sense to use a hard guard. Some applications mm-hmm. may make more sense to use the the uh, uh, light based safety. And so we probably talked about a few of those already, but but let's just review those a couple of those really quickly. So one of the things is robot cells. We we already talked about robot cells. Most industrial robot cells, it's going to be a combination. That's what yep. we see the most of. Hard guard around certain areas, maybe door door switches, magnetic door switches, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. Uh, yep. Uh, but on the front end, uh, either another process is is introducing product, or a person is introducing product or taking product away. And so usually that's where we would put, at the very least, uh, and and most commonly we would put a light curtain. I think. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing to consider too is you know you know space on the floor. And both of them, both the, whether you're talking a light curtain or a safety safety scanner or hard guarding, you know, take up space. There's just a because with a safety scanner or a light curtain, you do have to factor in that safety distance. So you can't just put the the safety scanner or the light curtain around the exact point that fits into your space. You have to put it at a distance that is deemed safe which might stick out a little bit more than is an ideal fit. But then you think about the hard guarding as well, that takes up space too, but that might be a, a factor in considerations. How much space do you have on the floor as to what makes more sense? But yeah, you're, you're certainly right with, you know, a large robot cell, usually you're going to see at least two sides of it, hard guarded with a cage, maybe three sides of it. And then the front, usually you would, probably see a light curtain or a safety scanner or something like that or both if it's a large robot yep okay again if you're if you're walking in if you can walk in with it if it's a robot that's on a pedestal or on a some type of a table work table that's a small small you know uh, what we would refer to as a small industrial you know three foot by three foot type work area or something like that then usually uh you don't have to worry about having a scanner or anything inside because again you, you can't really fit in there physically right and not be sticking out through the opening which means you broke the light curtain <laughs> um, yeah right but if it's a large robot and some of the larger robots that, that many people do that we do you can get in there with it and beyond the light curtain mm-hmm. easily and the light curtain be made behind you basically all the beams unbroken while you're still inside and so that's where the safety scanner sometimes we do both okay what yep. other what other uh, application examples like is there something with palletizing and con- conveyors or anything like that yeah uh, so if you're talking like material handling you had mentioned i mean that certainly is an application that lends itself to one side of the light curtain or one side of the cell being open and guarded by a light curtain or a safety scanner, because, you know, if you have a palletizing cell, you have a flow of material that's usually traveling in on a conveyor. That's obviously not going to be 
passing by hard guarding. It's physically impossible to, for it to pass through that. So you need to have an opening with a light curtain or a safety scanner to allow that product to go through. But that's also an application that usually lends itself well to muting, um, which you talked about a little bit earlier. Whether you're doing that with a safety scanner or a light curtain, it's done exactly the same way with both. But the idea is that you have sensors um, or or maybe a safety PLC that tell the, the device, the light curtain or the safety scanner, that there are products in front of it, but I don't want to detect those products. I just want to detect you know, something on top of those products. Um, so it allows the, the product, the pallet of material through, but doesn't trip, doesn't trip the light curtain or doesn't trip the safety scanner. So that that's usually an application that lends itself to to a, a muting light curtain or a muting, muted safety scanner. And so then we come to brandology, <laughs> collaborative robots. Dave, I have said over and over and over again that I've never seen a collaborative robot used collaboratively. In fact, yeah. <laughs> they always have usually not light curtains, but safety scanners. Yep. What say ye? <laughs> Well, the the idea behind a robot is, you know, it doesn't need, or a collaborative robot, I should say, is that it doesn't need as much safety. And that that's certainly true, but you also have to factor into what is it carrying? If, it, if it's carrying something that's heavy, if it's carrying something that's sharp, if it's carrying something that could potentially damage somebody, it still needs to be guarded. And if it's traveling over somebody's head, um, or I think it's above, you know, a, a certain level, like shoulder level, that, that it also needs to be guarded too. So there's certainly a lot of in scenarios that still lend itself, that still require it to be to be guarded. And I would say data logic as a whole, to just do a little plug, has been very successful guarding collaborative robots. And that's mainly with safety scanners, because we have one model that is specific, not specific to a collaborative robot, but 95% of these safety scanner models that we sell are for collaborative robots. And I say that because it has ways to utilize the uh, collaborative's uh, e-stop condition, the collaborative's slowdown condition, and the collaborative's pause condition all at the same time, which you know usually require, each one of those usually requires a redundant set of safety outputs in order to get the robot to slow down pause and certainly e-stop and one of our safety scanners that we have has that so there is a model of safety scanner that we've been extremely successful selling for guard and collaborative robots even though collaborative robots by their definition are supposed to be more safe that they might not need them so what you're saying is you agree with my brandology yes for sure i mean <laughs> yes all right see it all the time i mean i shouldn't say i see it all the time these days because it's been you know, nine months or whatever it's been since I've, you know, seen customers on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, COVID, man. But yep. yeah, pre-COVID, I would say, yeah, there weren't too many days that would go by where I saw a collaborative robot that was truly being collaborative. Hey, Dave, can you, what is that safety scanner that DataLogic makes for the, that? It's, yeah, it's called the, uh, it's the Laser Sentinel Enhanced and the, the specific models that it comes in a three meter model depending on how far the, the range needs to be, and then also a five-and-a-half-meter model. Um, but it's the M3 or the M5-1708. 
Um, and it's part of the SLS, the Safety Laser Sentinel is our series. Okay. Um, and then it's the enhanced model. And it, it's different than the rest because it has three sets, independent sets of safety outputs. So one safety, one set of safety outputs can be tied to the robot's slowdown condition. Another set of safety outputs can be tied to the pause condition. And then the other set of safety outputs can be tied to the e-stop condition so that when somebody steps in each of those specific zones that are tied to those conditions, the robot responds accordingly. Oh, that's smart. Okay, so so that said, of course, uh, our podcast, we, we pride ourselves on not being salesy, but uh, yes. I have been really... Um, uh, just blown away with some of the cool stuff that data logic's doing in, in safety stuff. So just like you're talking about with the SLS, uh, the, you know, being kind of built for the collaboratives, um, uh, any other safety specific, uh, products that are new for 2021 that, uh, or even came new in 2020 might as well. We, nobody got to see anything in 2020. Um, yeah, right. Exactly. It's new to most people. <laughs> are there two or three things that I, that I don't know about, uh, that, that, that you do that, that you might want to tell us about really quickly? Yeah, I, I, there's, I mean, there's one thing that we have that I always make a point of, of telling people that's pretty, that's pretty cool that we've actually had out for a while. It's nothing new, but it's a, a light curtain, um, and a traditional light curtain, you know, you have a transmitter and a receiver, and both of them are electronic, right? So you have an electronic transmitter and electronic receiver. We have a light curtain that where the receiver is technically not electronic, so it doesn't have any wires going to it. Wow! So for applic- really for yeah, so for applications <laughs> where you need that light curtain, but you don't want to route cables, you know, all over the place to have the receiver run you know 60 feet of cable back to the panel yeah there's a, a style of light curtain where we have just the receiver it doesn't have any power to it it's just dumb and all the brains is actually in a transceiver um so that's something not many people know about but i like to tell people it's out there because it, it's it's pretty slick it, so and that- it's really good for uh robotic applications as well as um those applicate those palletizing and material handling uh, applications that require muting because it has those that has that mute those muting inputs as well. So it, it works like a basically a retroreflective type sensor would a photo sensor would you work? Correct. Yep. Yeah. But it's an array. It's a safety it's rated it's array. Yeah. array. Yeah. Yep. So um, so an array of those but, those sensors. That's really that's really a cool idea. I, yeah. It, it uh, it's I it's one of my favorite products that we have, but not many people know about it. Um, well, the didn't. limitations on it are. The re- you know, we talked about the resolution on light curtains being a factor for your safety distance. The resolution on these guys is such that we call them body safe. So they're not going to be used for applications where we're trying to detect or prevent fingers or hands or something like that. They're going to be used in robotic applications where we're trying to protect somebody from entering a cell, not just an individual uh, fixture or something like because that. Because the beam spacing is so wide. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which, I, which it would have to be because you're doing a reflective type thing. Exactly. Because yeah. the more, with that reflective curtain, there's more chance that the the beam would, you know, interfere with each other if they're that close together. Right. What else do you got up your sleeve there, Dave? So um, I've heard some rumblings on the... So, some safety over ethernet stuff that's coming. Oh, wow. um, so yep. if you're doing like, you know, customers are using safety PLCs from uh, Siemens or uh, Allen Bradley, 
There's some stuff in the works for, not released yet, but stuff in the works for safety over Ethernet, whether it's Profi Safe or SIP Safety. And then I've also heard rumblings about some safety stuff with IOLink. Yeah. Um, nice. So, yep. I know you guys. You guys, I thought might be interested in that. So, yeah, we um, do a lot with IOLink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do. So that is uh, in the works too. But you didn't hear it from me. <laughs> well, we won't tell except, anyone. <laughs> except they did. Um, yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> hey, man, I appreciate you sharing some of that stuff. So that guys, really, uh, that's cool. Beth, I'm hearing this for the first time. So, so you heard it. You know, you heard it here first, guys. That's awesome. Um. So, so. We, we we're going to start wrapping up here. We're 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 coming in on on the top of our 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 program. Datalogic's portfolio. I have, as we've done various and various and sundry of these podcasts, I have mentioned Datalogic by name multiple times in multiple for multiple products. Uh, the vision systems, the barcode scanning systems, uh, uh, the safety stuff is is fantastic. We have just had such good luck with them from an integration and machine building uh, standpoint. The barcode scanners tie straight into our MES gateway, our IOTA products and things of that nature. We, we, I just really have become quite the fan of Datalogic as far as all of the products that we uh, partner with. But Datalogic is certainly one of our, our, our top lines that we, that we partner with. And so there's safety, which we've gone through today. But I want to just mention some of the other portfolio because I see us doing podcasts in the future. So as you're listening to this, there's a comment section. Uh, give us some comments if any of these uh, sound really good to you. We, I want to, I'd like to hear hear back, and I'm sure Beth would as well, as we are planning in the future. I'm not sure that, that Dave would be our guest, but someone from Datalogic <laughs> might be. Uh, but that's uh, Vision Systems, the barcode scanning systems 1D and 2D. Uh, and then also laser marking, marking mm-hmm. systems. And and that's one that, that I don't know that a lot of people realize that Datalogic does is laser marking. But but you're if you're going to read a code, you have to first write the code. And uh, we were talking in our, FD, uh, our FDA FISMA uh, podcast right. about the Food Safety <laughs> Modernization, Modernization Act. Act. Traceability. I, yep. Traceability, all, yeah. All those buzzwords, yep. And so I was like, are you going to be able to laser etch a leafy green vegetable? So, we'll, you know, we'll see. So, hey, we've done an egg before. Oh, Have really? really? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yep. My goodness. Yep. Awesome. So, so um, <laughs> the, the Datalogic portfolio is certainly uh, a great thing. Now, Dave, you work a lot with the sensors, uh, sensor group, and also the, the safety but uh, but I did want to give a shout out to the to the other product lines in the portfolio because we really we really think a lot of you guys and what you can do. Well, we certainly appreciate that. We like working with you too, and we'll continue to do so. Well, you really will after you hit the prime time of industrial automation. It doesn't have to. All right. To. I'll be looking for those reviews, those sky high reviews <laughs> flying in now. Yeah. You yeah. Go. You may have reporters on your lawn. Yeah. Uh, right. This is my, my big break. That's right. So, uh, guys, if you get a chance to check it out, it's datalogic.com, D-A-T-A-L-O-G-I-C.com. Dave, I really appreciate you taking some minutes with us today and your insights and your expertise. Beth, as always, I appreciate you. Elitech.com is our website. It E-L-L-I-T-E-K is. And I've made a new page on it okay. for the podcast. So if you go to Elitech.com, you can just uh, Elitech.com slash podcast. And it's right there, all the episodes. You can subscribe to our, our, our RSS feed and you can find us on all your favorite streaming apps. And you can also find us on Facebook at Elitech-Inc. 
on LinkedIn and on Facebook and did I say a Twitter? As Twitter, well. yeah. <laughs> and if you want to follow me, what's my my? Is Your it, boss hog. I'm the boss hog. D a b o s s underscore hog with two G's. The boss at the boss hog. Um, guys, thank you very much, Dave. Once again, yes, and thank you, Dave. Beth, thank you sure, for thank you being here. Uh, because it's always so much better when you're here, and and oh, no. and Dave, thanks for making it better too. And yes, and uh, so. Industrial automation, it doesn't have to be unsafe. With data logic. With data logic. Yeah. Thanks, Beth. Thanks, Dave. See you guys.